Um, before we kind of just dive into the text, we can, you can grab your Bible. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. That's the text you'll be in today. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, I always say Bibles are in the back. Please take one of those. That's our gift to, view, gift to you. You don't have to return it. Uh, some of you guys uh, were, had a, a bit of anxiety over feeling like you had to come back and put it back on the table. Now, we want you to take it, especially if you don't own one, uh, so you can grow in grace with us as you read the text and read the scriptures along with us. I wanted to uh, just encourage you guys real quick with a letter I got um, last week or two weeks ago that I just wanted to read. It's real short, but uh, just love uh, seeing the meaningfulness in uh, aspects of grace like this. You guys know that two months ago when Harvey hit the uh, Texas coastline, that we, uh, as an Acts 29 church family, we gave, uh, we were able to write a check for $20,000, which was phenomenal for the life of our church and the size of our church, uh, to go towards the recovery and relief of many of our sister churches that are there uh, who are struggling, who have lost gathering spaces, lost homes, and um, Bruce, who kind of was uh, spearheading that initiative who uh, he's got a a long way to go. They're still just in kind of uh, recovery phase and relief uh, and just finding all that needs to be established. But he just wrote this to us, just wanted to read it uh, just to encourage you because it encouraged me and a lot of times I get to read things and receive things that don't get to be passed on to you. So um, he just writes, Dear Church at Bergen, thank you for your amazing gospel-centered generosity towards us in the wake of what was nothing short of a disaster. The $20,000 you gave us was distributed among all the Acts 29 churches in Houston who gave funds to mostly people who were directly flooded and lost their homes or churches. I wish you could have seen the tears of gratitude from the people who received your help. On behalf of the Acts 29 family in Houston, thank you in the name of Jesus. Bruce, pretty cool, right? So yeah, be encouraged. Be encouraged. I uh, thought that'd be meaningful for you. So uh, now we're gonna we're gonna dive into uh, the text. Here's what we've been doing. If this is your first time, I know we see a lot of new faces asking a lot of great questions, a lot of seekers, those who are kind of experiencing what Christianity is, what the scriptures teach, and we're thrilled that you're here. I uh, want you to know that what you're experiencing right now is nothing short of just very uh, at its basic form a worship service. So we worship Jesus uh, five predominant ways. You're seeing that here. We also uh, go out during the week as the saints of God, as the people of God, to grow. Uh, grow in community and to advance the mission of God by telling others this great good news that Jesus died for sinners and offers reconciliation with God himself. And so we worship Jesus by singing songs. That's why we, we sing. We want to declare the excellencies of Jesus, remind ourselves as to why he's good, why he's great, why he's awesome, what he's done for us in his person and work. We also worship Jesus by sitting under uh, what is called preaching or um, a sermon. And so you get to hear what God might say to us through his written revelation. It is full. It is incredible. Closed. It is his inerrant and fallible word of God. I always say that the pastor, me, or whoever you hear teach up here is uh, not infallible. We are fallible and we are uh, errant. And so we want to grab hold of the things that are perfect and let go of the things that are not. We also worship Jesus each week by observing the Lord's Supper. It's a gift and a uh, basically a meal God gave to his people to nourish us with the saving benefits of the work of this Jesus Christ who was God's son. So we do that uh, after the sermon. And then we also worship Jesus by giving because God has been most generous to us in offering himself, and so we give back to him as it's all his anyways, and the silver blocks 
silver boxes on the back. And I always say, if you're just visiting, you're not a regular attender or member, uh, we're not looking for your money. We love you, glad you're here, and hope that you just know Jesus and that you make him famous in your life. Let me ask God for help. We need help. Anytime we open up the scriptures, we need help from his Holy Spirit for illumination. So I always want to give you guys a chance to sit, to ask, to plead God uh, with God to just open your hearts, open your minds to what he might want to say to you. So uh, let's take just a moment of silence for uh, the Lord to speak, for you to hear from him. I'm sure many of us come in this room flooded with so many other things that are um, distracting us, whether it's relationships, whether it's work, whether it's family, whether it's the pain of an experience or a memory, whether it's experiencing or feeling loss. Um, Ask the God of the universe to speak to you in this space. Ask him to give you understanding, illumination. Ask him to help you to receive his words today. God, we praise your name that you're a God that speaks, that you're a God of words, that you're a God who says things and things are created and made, that you say things and people are regenerated, that people are made new, that people are bought from death to life, that people are freed from sin and grown into and grafted into the body of Christ, adopted as sons and daughters, made new as new creations. God, thank you that that you've spoken in your word, you speak through your people, and God, help us this morning to hear you as you speak to us. Help us to live differently in light of truth. Uh, Help us not just to hear things and leave the same, but allow these things to continue to transform us and shape us more in the image of Jesus. We need your help. We need your guidance. We ask the Holy Spirit of God to do what only he can do uh, in the moments that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15. This is what we've been doing. Uh, Just if you want to know, our our primary diet of teaching is basically walking through uh, books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, line by line, to basically give us the the full counsel of God. We want to see what God has to say in his fullness. We don't just want to uh, grab little things here and there, but look at how has God written his great grand story of redemption, and how do we uh, see more of him and more of his character in that. And So um, we normally do that, but we took an eight-week break, and what we've been doing is walking through right now just basically the, the things that identify us as a people as a local church. Um, and these things are really important because we want to dig our well deep into these things and, and so these things form and shape us. And we call these things not really values. You hear a lot of people talk about their, their values. They have like kind of a mission statement and then values. Well, we see these more as convictions because values are something that you just share and agree on. Convictions are things you'll sacrifice for and even die for. And so um, these are things that we want to say we're putting our stake in the ground. These, this is the, the engine of what we do and these are the things that will drive our life together. And so that's um, the gospel of Jesus. Jesus Christ, it's the Word of God, it's discipleship, and it's mission. So uh, normally we're just taking one week in each, but we took four weeks in the gospel to really continue to unpack what is this great good gospel, because we're going to see this morning that the Apostle Paul says this is of first importance. This is the thing that, that should basically inform every decision and thing that you do in your life. You can get everything else wrong, but if you miss this, you miss the whole wagon, okay? And so um, we took four weeks. We started out looking at God just simply at his glory that he 
he's a God that dwells in infinite perfections, that he is um, incredibly infinite in superiority, his immensity, his glory, his, his perfections, his, his ways, his thoughts, how um, he is outside of the box that we try to live in. He is the creator, we're the created, and how uh, we saw that basically our sin is so serious and so um, weighty that if you don't get the weight of glory, you won't get the weight of your sin. And we saw the response of God to us in trying to steal his glory. We looked at Genesis through the story of God in the Bible, how we try to be glory thieves, we try to take from him what is rightfully his own. We take all that he's made, all of his gifts, and we try to use us for ourselves and not for him. That's called treason. That's called belittlement. That's called us wanting glory. That's what happened in Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve. And so he responds with hell and the killing of Jesus. And we saw that's serious. So we walked into the doctrine of hell two weeks, saw why that matters, why it's important for us to understand that. And then last week, Pastor McKinney did a great job at showing us that praise God that Jesus Christ comes, that God is another response in giving us his son who takes hell for us. Um, and we see that that is basically just the wrath of God in effect, that God is just. The wrath has to be spent. It has to go somewhere in his right, good, just anger towards the belittlement of his name, and he puts it on his son. He takes our sin, becomes it in full, is buried, and he gifts us. He credits us his very righteousness so we can be raised to life and newness of life. We see that as super good news. So now uh, we talked about how we, we uh, need the news to be really, 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 really bad for us to know why the news is so really, really, really really, really great, okay? Uh, and so once you get to the gravity of that space, you can be made alive in a really, really healthy, good way. And so, um, but here's the thing. As we, as we looked at that, this gospel that we have right standing with God, and, and I love that we made it explicitly clear last week that it's not through your works, it's not through your rights, it's not through your skill, it's not whether you drink or don't drink or cuss or don't cuss or how you operate in your marriage. You are saved. You are made right with God. Wrath is removed and spent fully only by the purchasing work of Jesus Christ, right? And it's not even how strong your faith is, it's in the faith of who saves you. And so uh, Mike just laid that before us beautifully. He helped us feel the weight of it. He helped us see it and taste it and walk in it. And here's the thing, though. We, we preach a full gospel, right? A full gospel drives us as a people. So we don't just preach a death gospel. We preach a death and life gospel. And so you've got to get the resurrection in there, okay? That's equally the gospel as the cross. I'm always fascinated, and I know this is probably just, there's reasons for this. Everyone likes to wear a cross. I want to see someone wearing an empty tomb. Like, like we're just fixated with the cross, and you can stay so fixated on this cross that you forget he's not dead. He's risen. He's alive. That validates every last bit of what he's done. So if you don't get a full gospel, a death gospel, a life gospel, a glory gospel, a hell gospel, a we deserve this, God gives us this, you will not have a heart that beats with passion for the God of the universe, okay? So uh, we want to make sure we have a full rounded understanding. So I get the tail end today. I'm thrilled. We're not going to give an Easter sermon, but we're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not just an Easter thing. It's a life thing. Right, So we like to hear it on Easter, oh, get ready, right? He's going to talk about the empty tomb. Well, we should always see, I've always wanted to see, when you see a picture of the cross, to see the tomb next to it, you should visually get used to that, right? Because our God is puny and insignificant if the cross is the only story, right? You've got to have the tomb that's open and the life that was raised, from God the Father himself. And so this great news should drive us, this full gospel. Now, uh, here's the thing. Uh, the resurrection, if you don't have that, you don't have a gospel, right? You can't be driven by this gospel. Uh, you've got no fuel. You've got no anchor. You've got no proof. Uh, you've got no meaning. Um, and so this is, this is really like the engine 
right, that, that, that works the car. You can have wipers and lights and seats and, and everything can look great, even a paint job, but if it can't go anywhere, who cares, right? Uh, it's meaningless. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ is basically the, the final piece, the final part in this engine of our car that's going to let us go, uh, that's going to ignite us with the passion for his name. Now, the resurrection should change us, and, and I know uh, we probably know that. You've probably been told that, but I'm curious in your life, like, just how many of us believe that Jesus resurrected from the dead? Cool, nobody. No, I just, I know you were waiting. You're like, I mean, I don't want to, I mean, I'm in church. I mean, goodness gracious. Okay, so Here's the deal. I know intuitively you were agreeing in your spirit. I know that's like the cute, weird, conservative thing to do. Like, you don't have to do that. So, so listen, if you believe that, if you believe that God himself raised Jesus from the dead, if, that, if that's you, does it at all affect you? I want you to really think about that, though. I mean, because if he didn't, would your life look any different? If you found out tomorrow in some way, which would never happen and can't happen, that God himself was not raised, would your life look different? Because that can be a scary question for some of us. Some of us, you're not living in light of any resurrection. You're not living in light of any of that truth. You, you are still totally enslaved to your sin. You love it more than Jesus. You find ways to justify your life. You find ways to excuse who you are. Worship is dull, right? Heart is soft. Do you, do you believe in the resurrection? And if you believe in this resurrection, has it shaped you? Does it affect you? Because there's a guy, and there's a lot of people, right? I mean, the Christian church itself, there's a guy, Paul, right, who was once Saul and who is drastically changed, totally changed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? He's the guy who's doing well. He's prominent. He is the head of his society. He's a religious leader, and he is out persecuting these Christians as the, the church of Jesus Christ is birthed. And what happens? He's on the road to Damascus, and he sees the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, he, he sees him, strikes him blind. He's saved. He's so transformed by the resurrected Jesus that somehow he goes from being the, the persecutor of the church to the most persecuted man of the church. And this is what he writes to us. After he's beaten and tortured for the sake of this great news that we have of Jesus Christ, he says this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. He writes to the church in Corinth and says this, I'm going to remind you. I love it when Paul says, I'm going to remind you. Um, usually you're like, oh, okay, something I haven't heard before. Now I want to remind you of the thing that you hear all the time. Remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So Paul is basically going, let me remind you of, so he's telling us, Church of Bergen, like, let me remind you of the gospel that we've been unpacking the last three weeks on week four, right? Let me remind you of what Christ has done. Let me remind you of what you've received. Let me remind you of what you've believed in. Now, now be careful. I want to make sure you believe in this thing and that you stand in this thing. I want to make sure it's not something you just believe is, is theory or maybe happen, but something that transforms your life. And he lists it out and says that Christ died for sins, that he was actually buried, and that he rose again in a 
accordance with the scriptures. And he says, as he's reminding us of this great gospel, that God is this God in infinite perfections, that he is so holy and so just and so right and so loving in all that he is and all that he does, that, that we can't pit attribute against attribute, that they are all perfectly, completely superior, right? So his justice and holiness is as superior as his love, so we don't elevate any. We keep them all in his perfect, infinite, perfected ways, and, and all those things come crashing down on humans who try to belittle his name, who try to steal his glory for ourselves. So he has hell, which is a just response, not even sufficient, which we talked about, and then he has the killing of his own son to rescue us, his son that didn't say dead, but rose again. So he goes, let me remind you of this gospel. Let me remind you. Let this drive you. Let this inform you. Let this sustain you. Let this be the truth that flows through your veins, that impacts your head, that goes down to your heart. Remember this gospel. It's of first importance. Paul, who wrote 75% of the New Testament, listen, of everything I wrote to you, spiritual gifts of the Spirit, end times when Jesus will return, what music should sound like, the polity and structure of your church, listen, do not get off on this. Okay, this is of first importance. Don't miss atonement. Don't miss propitiation. Don't miss imputed righteousness. Don't miss faith alone and Christ alone, right? We, we discuss those things. Don't miss those things because that is absolutely how you're saved. And if you're not saved, you're totally lost. You can get on the ramp to all those other things and be great and theologically clear. But if you're not theologically clear here, then you're off the rails, okay? So he's given us a nice word today. He's saying, hey, this thing, this gospel that drives church at Bergen, and really the church of Jesus Christ is the engine of everything that we do. And he shows us that this is something that is full. And what's interesting is he reminds us of the full gospel. It's natural to him. And what's weird is we often kind of say like, okay, um, let's have this, um, I don't know, kind of, let's talk about the cross. And then often even in our gospel presentations, we'll miss and forget the resurrection, right? Well, here's what's amazing. He actually has always, you'll see it in the scriptures, every time they write it, it's always full. It's always complete. It's always he died, he was buried, and he rose. You'll even see it in Acts, in the, in the church, when Peter gets up and other, other apostles, as they, they write and they speak, they're always including naturally the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why it's funny if you've gone through our member process when we ask you the good news of the gospel, and, and some of you naturally, you, you talk about his death, and then we'll sit there and stare at you. And you're like, what's going on? I'm like, well, did he stay dead? You've been there, you know. I mean, that's, that's just the common thing. Oh, no, 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 he rose, right? Like, you're like, oh, I'm, 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 I believe that, you know? So, but we just, because that's not really something we always think about or catch. It can even be deficiently lost so often. And so um, here we see as Christ taught, it never stops at his death, but always as his resurrection. The, they address the death and resurrection always as one event. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the good news and he just says here that Christ absorbs the wrath, buried our guilt and shame, and was raised. Everything Jesus did must be validated entirely. And he only does it through the raising of himself. Now, I want to spend the remainder of our time just understanding a couple reasons. I'm not going to give a, uh, an apologetics here, okay? You can listen to an Easter sermon, or you can actually just read Paul. He gives you another, like, six verses where he just lays before you evidence as to why that's true. Um, but I just want to say why it's precious and practical. Uh, why is the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And listen, this is not exhaustive. Please don't go home. Man, I got, I got the four points that are the only reason that the resurrection is, is precious and practical. There's a, an infinite number of reasons. Uh, I just want to give us a couple and talk about why it's meaningful that we stand in this, okay? So um, that's what I want to do. Number one, and this might sound obvious, but we're forgiven of our sin. Now, most of us think, no, the cross forgives us of sin. Right? That's where he bore shame and guilt. 
That's why the cross is wonderful, right? That's where he, he takes wrath and appeases it. He, he, he fully receives, right, the just payment that was due us. Look at what Paul says later in verse 17 of the same progressive thought. He says, if Christ hasn't been raised in this gospel I just reminded you of, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. It's huge. Absolutely necessary. Listen, if God holds your sin against you, you know if you, you have no hope of anything else from God. Like I mean, the, the, the fundamental like, place of our hope is that God doesn't hold our sins against us. He doesn't hold the offense against us. That's, that's where we find reason to rejoice, right? The foundation for every other blessing from God, every other promise from God is that he doesn't hold your sin against you. And everything hangs on forgiveness. And Paul reminds us he had to rise for you to receive forgiveness. But some of us say, but isn't the death of Jesus what takes away our sin? Isn't the death because he bore it and took our judgment? Yes. But the connection to the resurrection is essential. It's vital. It's necessary. Look at what Romans 4 says. 423, but the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, that's Jesus, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, okay, there's the resurrection, who was delivered up for our trespasses, death of Christ, but listen to the next line, raised for our justification. Wow. He was raised for your justification. Now, justification, I think Pastor Mike talked about this last week, just the big theological term for declared right before God, made right before God, given the righteousness of Christ, right? We, we believe that as Christians, as Protestant Christians, that we have a righteousness that is not our own, that we did not buy and could not purchase and could not earn and could not somehow ascend to God. He descended to us and gave us his son. So we, we have all the saving benefits of this great gospel, right? But, but this resurrection is necessary for that being declared right to even be true for you. It wasn't just him, yes, bearing your sin, taking wrath, bearing the judgment, boring it all in his body. He had to raise to actually bring about the validation that was necessary. Did you, do you understand that? Do you believe that? In the cross of Christ, we find all evidence that wrath was spent in the resurrection. We find our evidence for our justification before God. This is why it's so important. This is why it's so big. It proves that those who are in Jesus Christ have what they have in Jesus Christ. It's necessary. Listen, I, I know everybody in this room longs for forgiveness of some kind, even if you don't want to admit it. There's a longing inside of you deep down, even when you don't think about it. You long to be accepted. You long to be wanted. You long to be seen as something that you're not in the positive sense. You don't want people to see all your baggage. You don't want people to see all your scars. You don't want people to see all your stains, but you want people to see something that's worthwhile, where there's value, right? We all, we all want that. We all fear alienation, right, for guilt that we feel. Um, but I love it here because Paul says, because Christ rose from the dead, you have the best of all that. That's where it's validated for you. That's where forgiveness is found. That's where meaning is found. 
This is the most beautiful and basic blessing of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that your sins are forgiven. He says you're not still in them. You're actually freed from them. That is so, such good news for us. Number two, we can trust Jesus. Maybe this sounds obvious. But you can trust Jesus Christ. Verse 14, he says this in his progressive thought. He says, and if Christ wasn't raised, then our preaching's in vain, your faith is in vain. In the same way, deep in the heart of every person is a longing to trust something, right? All of us want to put our faith or put our stock or put our full weight into something that will hold up. Now, now, some of us choose other things outside of Christ. We'll choose the stock market, right? We'll choose the style of our home. We'll choose friendships. We'll choose marriage. We'll choose a lot of things to basically put our full trust in. Now, when that thing gives way, we're shipwrecked because it can't hold up under the expectation that we have because none of those things are God, right? They're functional gods. They're frail. They're, they're broken. They can't carry what you're trying to put on it. And here we see that, that because Christ was raised, your faith is not in vain. Your faith in trusting someone is totally sure. I mean, all of us want someone through thick and thin who's strong enough to hold the weight of all that we carry. And Jesus is the only thing that can carry those things. But that's only because he rose again. Right? So you can throw everything on him. He says in Matthew that you can throw every bit of the burden. My yoke is really easy. I don't get weighed down on the God of the universe. I'm holding plants in orbit. I've got stars in the sky. I've got future coming. I've got Jerusalem being made for you. And after I've done, done away with this present earth, a new one coming for the people of God. This is a beautiful reality that you can totally trust Jesus because he said he would rise and he did rise. And here's the other piece. You can trust every bit of what he says in his Bible. So when he says this is how life is supposed to work, this is how uh, issues work, this is how marriage works, this is how sin works, this is how judgment works, this is how hell works, you can wake up a little bit and go, I can trust every word of what he's saying because he did the highest degree of proving his trustworthiness in raising his very life. Listen, if you believe in the resurrection, you have no excuse for not believing the very words of Jesus, which is the very words of the whole scripture. So where you like to pick and choose text is evidence you don't believe the resurrection. So if you believe the resurrection, let's be intellectually consistent and say that I believe what Jesus says, which brings weight, right? Which brings warning, which, which brings some joy, which means also when he says, hey, I can take your anxiety, when he says that, that you can have me, that I don't let go of those who I save, you can take refuge there as well. You can find total assurance in the words of Jesus. You can trust him totally only because of his resurrection. Your faith is not in vain. Our preaching is not in vain because he rose. It would be so frustrating if you could not trust Jesus. And I know functionally we operate that way sometimes, day to day, moment to moment, right? I don't know if I can trust you today. Let him remind you of his resurrective power that, that shows us. That's what I love about the resurrection. The death of Jesus proves his love for you. I love, I think it was Spurgeon who said, anytime you don't feel like you can sense his love or see it, you can never escape it because of the cross. Even in circumstantial tragedy, there's still evidence for his love towards you as you see his son hanging. And then in the resurrection, it proves his power over every last enemy in your life. Both of those things matter tremendously. 
So you can trust Jesus. That's why it's precious and practical. Number three, um, you receive his Holy Spirit. I don't know if you've thought about this, but, but this full gospel that drives us, you know, you have no hope of a Holy Spirit not only indwelling you, sealing you, taking up residence as your truth teacher to guide you, comfort you, and do all of those things. You have no hope of that if there's no resurrection. The resurrection is what fundamentally allows for that. Look at what Jesus said in John 16. He says, i tell you the truth. Okay, Jesus, I tell you the truth. We can trust him, right? Rolls back to the last point. He's saying, hey, listen to what I'm about to say. He says here, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. I mean, he just said, if he does not, if he's not raised after his death and does not ascend back to heaven, you will not get the Holy Spirit of God. Now, some of you go, well, okay, who cares? He's like the third member, the stepchild of the Trinity. No, he is God in the flesh. He is, that is very much God as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You have no ability to understand anything in this Bible, interpret anything I'm saying to you, walk in holiness. You can do nothing if Jesus is not raised because he will not send his Holy Spirit. So if he does not die, he will not be raised. If he's not raised, he will not ascend. If he does not ascend, there's no Holy Spirit coming. If no Holy Spirit comes, there's no church. Jesus says the Holy Spirit of God is going to be the director of the church. So we're walking around like loony bins if he doesn't raise Right, we're all just blind leading the blind. <laughs> Praise God for a resurrection that gifts us his Holy Spirit that teaches us, that guides us, that instructs us, that comforts us, that keeps us. You have no hope. Every bit of what you've ever learned about God and Christ is because of the resurrection. Every bit of what you know to be true in the gospel of Jesus Christ is because Jesus is alive. That's amazing. That's beautiful. Did you know that, that it all hinges on his resurrection? Number four, and this is precious and practical and really good news, you absolutely can put your sin to death. Absolutely can. And the only reason you can do it is because God is not dead. The only reason that you can live as a new creation is because God has been raised to make us new creations. Look at what Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. In verse 16, I don't cease to give thanks for you. Remember you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. He's praying this beautiful prayer over this church. What are the riches of his inheritance in the saints? But did you ever notice this part of his prayer? He wants Ephesus to know, and he wants us to know. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards those of us who believe? Well, how do I get that? He tells you. Verse 20. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The resurrection. <laughs> but like, you, you have no hope leaving this room of being freed from the sin that enslaves you and living a life that's glorifying to God if, if the resurrection hasn't happened. Like you have no hope of that. This is profound what Paul is laying before us. He actually wants them to know 
the capability, not of their own effort. He wants them to know the capability of God inside of them who desires and will work in them to his good, pleasing pleasure. Like he wants them to know that absolutely in the cross of Christ, sin was put to death and it was validated and the fuel for all of that is in his resurrection. He, he makes an astounding statement here. He's talking about the same power, I mean the same glorious power that God the Father himself used when he took Jesus, broken bones, you know, uh, side was opened up, water and blood poured out, the same God that mended every part of Jesus Christ in his resurrection. He says it's the same power I want you to know that you have inside of your body with the Holy Spirit to actually walk in newness of life, to put sin to death, not just train your sin, to actually put it to death, to walk in holiness, to grow in the knowledge of his name. Now listen, the reason I'm so heavy on this is, as he says this, it connects to the prior point, right? He says, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you, right? If Jesus wasn't raised, you have no hope of putting any sin to death. You have no hope for it. You're still in the, in the coffin, You're not walking around as a new man, as a new woman in Christ. You don't have the joys of seeing Jesus as better than sin. You don't have the joys of treasuring him above everything else. You don't have the joys of actually being freed from your enslavement to your own glory that's actually a train wreck for you that takes you in the merry-go-round and the the cul-de-sac of insanity that you keep trying everything that doesn't work thinking it might work. You finally break out of that. You find Christ, a divine healer, a divine raiser from the dead. You cannot raise to life anything that is dead. You can't do it. We, We try to do it. Right, we try to do it through uh, latest books, run to Barnes and Noble, this is how you find your whole self. Oprah said this, Dr. Phil said this. Okay, that's how I make my way there. The problem is these are all band-aids. You're not going at roots, you're cutting branches. So your yard looks awesome for like two weeks after you mow. Why? Because you're doing this behavior, you're doing this energy in you, this, this self-seeking. We, are, we have a suicidal love affair with self-reliance. Like that's just what we want. I did it, I can do it, I can achieve it, I beat this lust, I can get rid of my anger, I can do it all. You can't, you can do it for a season, you can do it for a time, but then two weeks later, look at your yard, the weeds are coming back up because you need something outside of you to get the weeds and rip them out and make you new and plant literally new flowers. And unless you have the resurrection of Jesus, you can't do that. You're going to be so frustrated. Benchmarks of your spiritual life is going to be frustration, anger, bitterness, resentment. And this is why there's this weird thing that happens in the Christian circle where you hear like an awesome sermon or you go talk to somebody and for like two weeks you're doing great. And you're like, man, this is awesome. And then as soon as you stumble and fall or as soon as you feel like Jesus is not trustworthy or this doesn't happen, you think Jesus just doesn't work or this whole thing's a sham. And I'm telling you, you haven't tried Jesus. You know how many people I sit down with and I say, when was the last time you, you, you actually practiced what you already know? Like you, you actually picked up texts. Let's go through them, right? Where he says, this leads to life, this leads to destruction. I don't think so. And you take a left. How many times has that one out for you? Uh, not, not really ever. Okay. Uh, how many times have you actually begged God, prayed for his spirit's help, pressed into Jesus headlong, through community, through coffee with other saints, through getting into the scriptures, being reminded of what's true, as you have an assault over you through culture and the enemy and cosmic adversaries. How many of you are taking actually refuge here and actually, what I would even say, putting it to the test? 
This was massive for me in college. Massive. I realized that I believed in Jesus and I was not standing in the gospel. I, I knew everything about him. I knew everything that he did or claimed to do. But it was not transforming my life. It was not bringing about change and transformation. Um, now, I was muscling it out for a long time. Uh, I was finding ways to tweak things and avoid things, and, which is good to an extent, but there was no chasing of him. There was no pursuing him. There was no awareness of the resurrection. There was no awareness of the Holy Spirit of God. This is why 1 John 4 says, greater is he that's in you than he that is of the world. John's given you a great testimony to the Holy Spirit. He's given you good pneumatology there. We're talking about this because I don't want you to be unaware of this truth. That's why we're talking about it. Because this gospel is the gospel that fuels us too. And here's the other reason I'm talking about this. Because the evil one is so cunning that he desperately does not want you to begin operating in this way. Desperately doesn't. He does not want you to think and operate in this way. He wants you to come home and say, I'm too tired I'll do something else than read my scriptures. I will not confess that sin. I'll let my pride build. I'll avoid this. I cannot restore my marriage. I cannot overcome this anxiety. I cannot get out of this enslavement to sin. I'm addicted to this thing. I'm enslaved to this thing. I'll never know what it means to walk in holiness. I'll never know what it means to really treasure Jesus. I'll never really know what it means to look like that saint that I really long to imitate as he imitates Christ. I'll never know those things. No, Jesus says in his resurrection that you absolutely have full access to all of those things and it's fully yours in the full gospel of Jesus Christ as he dies, raised, and then he puts his spirit in you and says, now go chase it. Like, go have it. Most of us say, no, Jesus hasn't worked. No, you haven't tried. You have not pursued him. You have not pushed headlong into him. You just avoid sin and run away from sin. You do not pursue him. You do not repent. You do not confess. You do not actively love him. You love your sin more than you love Jesus Christ. And you wonder why you're in the state you're in until you beg God to do a work that's possible because he's alive and gives you his spirit so you can walk new. So here's the, the thing that we always do. We see sin, right? Whatever your thing is, anger, lust, whatever deviance, whatever thing you can't get control control of, and you've, you, you listen to everything outside of the text, outside of the gospel, and you just try to manage it your whole life. Like, and you stare at it. That's all you look at is your sin that enslaves you. And that's why, listen, I love if there's any counselors in this room, you know, people in psychology, uh, love you, but this, this teaching that let's just keep digging up our past forever is really more traumatic than helpful, right? We don't just stare at it. We want to realize someone freed us from it. Someone allows us to walk new. So you're staring at your sin, and you're either avoiding it, walking away from it, and Jesus is all the way over here going, no, the Christian life is not forsaking sin. It's pursuing a person. It's pushing headlong into Christ through growth groups, through coffee with saints, through getting under the sound teaching of God's word, through singing songs, through corporate prayer, through all these avenues he's used to literally break you free from the sin of your life and let you to live with a conscience that loves Jesus, loves his glory, doesn't belittle his name, is saved not by anything that you've done, but now you get to enjoy it and be a participant in it you push headlong into Christ till it breaks you free from that sin that enslaves you and you continue to enjoy him. It is something that you keep doing over and over and over and over. This gospel of Jesus Christ is not something you hear. You walk the aisle, put your hand up. I'm good for my life now and I just live however I want. He rose again. How are you not different? 
I mean, he gave you his Holy Spirit. How are you not made new? How is there not an inkling of a desire to want to pursue and make his name famous? This gospel has to drive what we do, every last bit of who we are, every part of it, too, that we have lost the amazement of his glory, that we rightly deserve eternal torment and suffering in hell, a real place that is hard to wrap our minds around. And that Jesus Christ actually willingly takes hell for us, that takes the wrath fully, has it spent on himself, and is buried and takes our sin and gifts us his righteousness and allows us to have the Holy Spirit of God that is equally Jesus, equally God the Father, to live and walk and breathe and function and be freed, the most free men and women who exist. I love, I said all the time, I love how culture says, oh, you're, you're so locked up and in, in bondage. Really? I don't have to have any of the stuff that you have. You have to have sex. You have to have pornography. You have to have money. You have to, I don't have to have that. My happiness is in something outside of those things, which is Christ. So who's really enslaved? Oh, I don't know. Well, you are. So I, I don't understand how that works. You want to be the most free man or woman who exists? Take Jesus. Believe his resurrection, receive his Holy Spirit, walk in newness of life, and let's learn. It's a journey. This is why I don't want you to miss the one thing that Paul says back in verse 1, and we'll end. And this is why we don't just give good advice. We have really good news. He says, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. That, like, this week was, whoa, just jumped at me. Here, here's the question I want to ask you. Um, are you standing in the gospel? Are you rooted in the gospel? Is that what shapes your life, informs your life, drives your life? And when I say that, I mean all that we've unpacked the last four weeks and some, right? I don't mean just some cross. I mean the fullness of it. Because what I've found over the years is most people are not standing in it. They're just believing it. And is that you? Where you know a lot of truths. I mean, Jesus is going to repeatedly tell us, right? I mean, I, I'm a lot of people that believe this. Demons believe it. They shudder, right? I mean, they're, they're, that's normal. It's normal to be able to believe this thing and not stand in this thing, which is why Paul says right, right after this, hey, I don't want you to believe in vain, I want you to make sure this thing is real. Like, is this the thing that is continuing? You're being saved by this thing. Not by your effort, not by your works. By Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And this is the difference. There's a shift. When you simply believe the gospel, your whole life is derived by, I'm going to overcome this thing. I'm going to change this thing behavior I have. I'm going to edit this out of my life. I'm going to somehow grow into a better person, right? Um, that's just believing the gospel. Standing in it is just a reality that I have no capability of changing my heart. Like I, I, can, I can trim my branches all day long. I can mow weeds in my yard until the crow, the, whatever, bird crows. <laughs> just came up with that. Right? I mean, you can do that stuff all day long. You can run yourself ragged. And listen to me, friends. Those of you who have fallen prey to behavior modification in Christian circles are so tired. You're so weary. You're so exhausted. 
That's not why Christ rose again. So you can be like a cute little version, newer version. He, he, he raised so literally he'd make you new. He'd literally take your, your old heart and your old mind and put a new one in you. So you see the world differently. You see him differently. You enjoy him. That, that's what he offers. And so that's why as you, as you read this text, we remember, man, standing in this gospel pushes us into the grace afforded us in the cross of Christ. Standing in this gospel pushes us into the resurrection and clings to the power of the Holy Spirit day after day going, I need you, help me, heal me. Are you simply running away from sin or are you leaning into Jesus Christ? Are you pursuing him? Is there any pursuit at all in your life? Because if you're not, you're just believing this thing and trying to avoid sin. The question is, are you standing? This is the resurrection. He wants you to stand in his resurrection. I want you to stand in it. Know the power of it. I say all the time, man, I, when I sit down with you, I, I just can't. No, you can, not you. You can because you have a Jesus who rose, who gives you his Holy Spirit, has given you all the tools that are conduits of his grace to allow you to walk in that freedom. You absolutely can. I'm telling you, the enemy does not want you to think or operate at all in this way. He wants you to buy every bestseller in front of Barnes & Noble. And he wants you to never pick up your Bible. That's what he wants. We got a a great Savior. A great Savior. Today I proclaimed you of first importance, right? That Christ was crucified for the forgiveness of sin. That he was buried to absorb and appease wrath and take away shame and guilt. And he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures to offer us a resurrected life and gift us his spirit so we can trust him totally and know we're forgiven of our sin. And know that we can now absolutely put every bit of sin to death in our mortal bodies. That remains now. will not be to its fullness until glory. But we're on a pathway there. And the Christian loves it because he hates that sin. And it gives us more joy. Can we pray that we would be a gospel-driven church for years and centuries to come? That these truths will never leave this place? No matter who's preaching or teaching? That this is what the church is founded on? and formed by, and that if it ever changes or derails, you either fire me, fire the other guy, or just shut down the doors, that we be, be a place that as best as we're able lets this thing be the engine. Let's ask God for help there. Father, help us to be people who believe that there's really no condemnation for those in Christ because of your death and resurrection. Father, I pray that these wonderful, beautiful truths would really inform us and shape us and lead us. God, would you help us to be a people driven by the really, 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 really great news. Help it not to get old. May we hear Paul's voice in our heads constantly saying, I'm gonna remind you, I'm gonna remind you, I'm gonna remind you. And this morning, I pray for those. Maybe a good question to ask yourself is, where are you just believing and not standing? Where is there simply a running away or an avoiding of sin with no pursuit of the person and work of Jesus Christ? Ask God for help. Ask God to point you to other saints. Ask him to remind you of the truths of who you are in Christ and what you've been given.
Maybe there's some of you that have not been made alive through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And God has even fundamentally placed you here this morning to make you new. He wanted you to hear the good news. He wanted you to know that you could not save yourself and that you are someone who tries to steal glory from this God who created all things, who dwells in infinite perfections, and that you desire to be the authority and tell him what to do and teach him new ways. And maybe he is opening your eyes to the goodness of who he is through the work of his son. And he says, come to me if that's you. Repent of your sin and turn to Christ. For the work of what he did alone is what saves you and forgives you and validates that it's true for you. You can become a Christian today. What is that sin that you're just trying to train and not put to death through the power of Jesus that you like keeping around in your life so when you get bitter and angry you can run to that instead of God? Ask the Holy Spirit of God to give you the help necessary to fuel you to put that sin to death through the warfare weapons of the gospel through confession, through repentance, through prayer, through the word, through gathering with the saints. Father, we love you and we need help. We all need help. Father, thank you that we simply cling to your cloak. Thank you that you're the one who solely brings us into the gates of glory. Thank you for giving us Jesus. Thank you for giving us a place where our identity can be sure and can be full. Thank you for freeing us from enslavement. Thank you for protecting us from lies and giving us the truth. Father, would you give more of your truth to many more so that many might know the saving work of your son. Father, thank you that you're alive. Thank you that you are the only God that reigns and rules and was put in the grave and brought out of the grave. Might that be a tremendous, precious, and practical reality for us as a people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. we're gonna take a few moments to observe the supper. And, and I hope, as I hope every week, that man, when we come to the table, that we are nourished greatly by the saving benefits of Jesus Christ. And maybe there's an aspect in his resurrection, as you see, uh, they represent his blood that was spilled for us and his body that was broken for us in the crackers. The, this does not give you righteousness. This does not give you salvation. This does not give you added standing before God or favor. This is simply a gift Jesus gave his church to say, hey, when you eat this meal together, remember this. And by remembering this, be nourished by this. Be encouraged by this. Be affected by this. Be empowered by this. Um, so come to the table with a glad heart, a thankful heart, um, and if you need time, confess sin that needs to be confessed. Um, the scriptures will say, don't just come to the table hastily, but, but confess some sins to the Lord. Otherwise, you heap judgment on yourself. We don't want that. Um, and also, if you're not a Christian, we say, please don't partake in a meal that you can't celebrate because you do not know him, but we want you to know him. There's no shame in not coming. This isn't for the elite. It's just a practice for the church. Um, and if you became a Christian, you trusted of Jesus, repented of sin, you're, you're welcome to our table this morning to remember this morning 
what he has done for you in Christ. Then we're going to sing in a few minutes, celebrating his work in this very way.